You're listening to the Kentucky School Talk podcast, where we bring together the voices of teachers, policymakers, and community leaders to discuss our vision for great public schools for every kid in the bluegrass. We believe in Kentucky public education, and we want to elevate the conversation. Greetings and welcome back to the Kentucky School Talk podcast, where today we are talking about all things student voice. I love talking about student voice in Kentucky because I think it's something that Kentucky has done uniquely well throughout the history of our public schools. And of course, we can't talk about student voice in Kentucky without mentioning great groups like the Pritchard Committee Student Voice Team, which is a group that supports students as education research, policy, and advocacy partners in their efforts to improve Kentucky education. So, given my affinity for all things Pritchard Committee Student Voice Team and their fantastic work, imagine how excited I was to wake up last week and learn that two Kentucky students have been named Young Explorers within the National Geographic Society, and they both have student voice team ties. So, they are Zoe Jenkins and Sahar Mohammed Zeta, who are going to be joining us in just a little bit so that we can talk about all things student voice and a little bit about their work with Nat Geo and what they hope to accomplish as a member of their fellowship. So just a bit of brief background information on each of the two ladies that we're going to have with us today. First, there's Zoe Jenkins, who is a junior at Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School's Math, Science, and Technology Center in Lexington. For three years, Zoe has served as a highly active member of the Pritchard Committee student voice team. Her grandparents' story of rising above their sharecropping status to becoming first-generation college graduates who then started a successful trash collection company drives her understanding of education as a path to a fuller life, especially for those from more marginalized communities. This culture of defying the odds has been a facet of Zoe's experience as a minority student in a racially homogenous, gifted program. Being the only African-American in the room is part of what inspires Zoe to break perceived norms and overcome biases that perpetuate education inequities. What a fantastic mission, and we're very excited to hear about that from Zoe in just a little bit. We also have Sahar Mohammed Zeta, who is a student at Harvard College studying government and economics as a Brian Cameron Education Foundation scholar and as a Coca-Cola scholar. She has been with the Pritchard Committee student voice team since 8th grade, working extensively on the team's college tripwires investigation into the inequities facing Kentucky students transitioning from high school to college. She led their nationally acclaimed partnership with the Council for Post-Secondary Education and the National Council for Community and Education Partnerships, and she writes and directs a series of widely disseminated radio and television PSAs to encourage students to apply for college financial aid. She is the executive editor of the Pritchard Committee student voice team's book, Ready or Not, Stories from Students Behind the Statistics, and as if that were not enough, Sahar also actively serves on the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's Post-Secondary Value Commission. On campus, she is the Communications Director and Executive Board Member for the Harvard Kennedy School Institute of Politics and the President of the Harvard College Iranian Association, where she works toward improving civic engagement internationally. What a fantastic resume. As I was reading through their bios earlier, I couldn't help but think, I can't wait to see what these students do later on down the road in their future. But the reality is that they're already doing some pretty amazing things, and we cannot wait to talk to them here in just a bit. So we're going to take a break, and then after that break, we'll be joined by Zoe and Sahar to talk about all things student voice in Kentucky. So stick around, and we'll be right back here on the Kentucky School Talk podcast.
Hello and welcome back to the Kentucky School Talk podcast. I'm joined today with some incredible guests. So with me, I have Zoe Jenkins, who is a junior at Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School's Math, Science, and Technology Center, and Sahar Mohamed Zeta, who is a student in government and economics at Harvard College. And also alongside them, I have Jamal Strong, who is here on behalf of National Geographic, because both of these tremendous young students have just been named uh, Young Explorers for the National Geographic Society. So welcome. How are you guys doing today? Um, doing great. Um, thank you so much for having us on. Likewise, it's such a pleasure to be here. I'm very, very excited for the conversation ahead. Agreed. Excited as well. Absolutely. So I wanted to start just to get something a little open-ended out there. Um, I know that Zoe and Sahar, you both have done a lot of work in Kentucky around student voice. So I'm interested in learning, how did you first get involved with student voice anyway? Um, I guess I can start with how I joined. So um, the Pritchard Committee student voice team um, had been around much longer than I've been in um, both middle school and high school. So they came to my middle school um, when I was in eighth grade and did a workshop about school climate and how important that is to academic achievement. Uh, and so I think in middle school, I'd always had a sense that there was kind of a weird dynamic between different groups in my school, but never knew what exactly to call it. And so when they came in, they're like, oh, that's called school climate. And there's all this data around why school climate is important. I think that was just absolutely amazing to me. And so I went to my first um, general meeting with them and I have um, been with them ever since. I think this makes almost four years now. And, and I got involved a little bit um, earlier than Zoe did. Um, so I got involved back when I was in eighth grade, right? Almost at its inception. So the Richard Community Student Voice Team is comprised of a team of middle school and high school students. Um, and now college um, undergraduates and graduates working really closely for the Pritchard Committee for Academic Excellence. And at the core, um, our goal when we were founding is to amplify voices of Kentucky youth um, on classroom impacts, on education policy issues, and just overall the overarching vision of the fact that students ought to be seen as partners in improving Kentucky public schools. So the main reason I got involved in it um, all the way back in eighth grade was that there was just this huge gap between the way policymakers and adults were viewing education versus the way that students actually were experiencing it. And we believe that there was an essential necessity to have young people not just be consumers of their education, but rather play an active role in creating the policies and creating the curriculum that they were going to be receiving. Um, like we're on the front lines of the battle at the end of the day. You know, we're the ones that spend 35 hours a week in the classroom alongside teachers and parents and, and superintendents and principals. So it only seemed right. It only seemed logical to have students in those co-creation processes as well. Um, a lot of my work with the Pritchard Committee, um, Zoe mentioned that she did a lot around school climate. I was very much focused on post-secondary transitions and highlighting the ways um, in which Kentucky students might be getting through high school, but not necessarily prepared for whatever life that they might want afterwards, whether that included post-secondary education, a four-year traditional pathway at technical communities or going straight into the workforce. So that's where I really got involved with it, um, continued to be infatuated with the work that they're doing as well. 
Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of all of the great work that the Pritchard Committee is doing, especially the student voice team. I've known Rachel Balin now for a few years. Shout out to her. Uh, she's an amazing thought partner uh, and a tremendous leader and, you know, voice for students around the Commonwealth. So that's all super amazing. I'm thrilled to hear of the work that you've done. I'm, I'm actually a little curious about some of the projects that you all have undertaken uh, or that you undertook during your time with the student voice team. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the projects that you two spearheaded through the student voice team? Sure. Um, I think Zoe, you want to go ahead? Sure, I can. Um, so I think I'll probably focus on two. So um, the project that I started through the Project Committee student voice team was actually our podcast, Get School. Um, so we worked to amplify and elevate the voices of students around the state through the podcast format. And so we launched that last October and we already have a pretty strong, um, you know, editorial forum presence. So this is, you know, very complimentary to that. Um, and it's, I've been just astounded by how engaged we've gotten so many people around the state to be in the podcast um, and the just level of production that students uh, were kind of already really attuned to. And we're super excited to just, you know, get their voices out there um, and whatever format they saw fit. Um, but I think maybe one of the really awesome projects that we've done is actually the study that we've done recently, our coping with COVID-19 student-to-student study, where we're looking at how students in Kentucky are coping with this pandemic, um, especially in terms of how we're going to be returning back to school, um, changes in their mental health and changes in their post-secondary confidence. Um, so we have, we're in the midst of analyzing that survey and analyzing the open response questions, and we're um, you know, in the process of getting reports together for districts and different co-ops around the state and even a report for the Kentucky Board of Education. I think it's really exciting to see students truly as research partners. And this is by no means the first project that we've done. And I'm sure Sahara will talk a little bit more about really our first big research project that we did as an organization. Um, just showing that, you know, students have, um, you know, students need a seat at the table when we're making these policy decisions that are being driven by data that's about us. And so we should be involved in that analysis process. Oh, for sure. And, and brilliant transition, Zoe. So a lot of the work that I've personally been involved with straddles so many different spheres of the intersection of policy and education. Um, we know earlier, um, as a soft freshman in high school, we wrote a bill, House Bill 236, to get a voting student member on the superintendent screening committee, really underscoring the fact that we ought to have more autonomy when it comes to our own educational processes. Um, we lobbied for um, restoring funding back to need-based scholarships in Kentucky um, in the year afterwards and successfully restored millions of dollars um, back towards scholarships in the state. Um, but the project at the end, which I was most ultimately involved in, um, was understanding the transitions and the obstacles student face when moving from um, high school into any type of post-secondary education. In 2015, when we started this research, I believe, you know, the Kentucky's four-year institutions, uh, only about 50% of college undergraduates finish their degree in six years, and only a fourth of them graduate in four, which at the time meant that Kentucky had the 13th worst graduation rates among all, all of the states. And that kind of spearheaded our work, which we called um, the Hidden College Tripwires. Um, a lot of factors that weren't being taken into consideration when policymakers were making rubrics and examinations of what makes a high school student successful. 
And from there, um, we didn't know exactly what students wanted to hear. Um, and that's, I think, a core value that um, the student voice team really embodies is we understand that we are not spokespersons for all students in the, in the state. So we make it a priority to go out and have conversations, facilitate a lot of roundtables, make sure that we're getting voices in through surveys of students that traditionally fall through the gaps. You know, most likely the students that are quietest have the most to say about the education that they're receiving. So from there, we went almost to about 16 counties all across the state, collecting stories, narratives, recording them, transcribing them, and at the end of the day, put them into a book called Ready or Not, Stories from Students Behind the Statistics, that highlights the plights of young people across Kentucky that share their perspectives on continuing education after high school. It touched on a range of themes from the ACT to the differences between rural and urban cultures in Kentucky, parent-teacher support, counseling, college affordability, everything that we think weren't in being encapsulated by policy as it was. And what's most uh, fulfilling about this work is that you're seeing a lot of policymakers take this into consideration. You know, being deemed as college and career ready has been modified in the state of Kentucky to not only include the ACT after this book, but to include a slew of other factors as well. Um, so it's really great to not only be able to listen to all these students, to make them feel validated in their education process, but also to see that on the other end, um, adults are also very interested in being co-collaborators with us as well. This is all just so impressive. And I just want to say, this kind of work is something that we don't see everywhere. Um, and I feel like Kentucky has done a uniquely good job of building the infrastructure so that student voice work like this can happen. So that all of this is so impressive to me. Uh, there's a phrase that I go back to, and I actually think I learned this from the student voice team, actually, nothing about us without us, uh, which is a phrase that I feel like a lot of student voice groups use. And I feel like the work that you two have done really is the fulfillment of that claim. Nothing about us without us. So that's really impressive. I'm curious though. I think the climate is, is changing around that most definitely. I remember going back into policy meetings and, and going into lobby for a bill or a cause that we were interested in. And a lot of people would wait for an adult to walk in behind us. And I remember like a half the time we would talk about the credibility of students and then spend the other half talking about the actual mission and, and the points that we were going to make. Um, we're definitely seeing a lot of change for the better when it comes to incorporating young people in the work, not just in Kentucky, but, but nationally and across all different spheres of not just education, on conservation, on political activism. So it's quite exciting um, to see this type of cultural shift taking place. I'm curious though, what is the reaction from, I guess you could say, the adults in the room, the educators, the superintendents, the administrators, the policymakers, how are they reacting to students taking ownership of this kind of work? It's, I'll say it's, it's a wide array of things. Um, so I guess, first of all, a huge thank you to all the adults who, when they see students walk in the room, treat us like equals and treat us like peers. Um, that's just so empowering for students. And I think really helps progress that, you know, it helps us really reach the progress that we're looking for. Um, I guess there, there have been a, a lot of adults, I think, who assume that because we're students that, we're, that we don't know as much. And I think that that's generally the response that we get is one of condescension. That's like, you don't really know what goes on behind the scenes in your education. But what I think um, some policymakers maybe don't realize is that students, when they realize how much power they can have over their education, I mean, we have 
you know, legislative coordinators who have read, you know, the front and back of all of the revenue statutes. Like they know everything about our education, how those formulas are laid out for funding. So in some ways, I think there's students who may be more knowledgeable than some of the policymakers who make some of those decisions. So I think, um, you know, the response has been mixed, but I think that, you know, being open to the fact that we don't know everything, I think is really what drives really powerful conversations is trying to learn as much as we can from each other, because, you know, while policymakers have been students before, they're not students in this moment. And I would say, especially with everything going on now, it's more important than ever to listen to the students who are experiencing this in their own schools at this very moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Zoe. So, um, Obviously, we're living in a really unique time right now, right? We're in the midst of COVID-19. We're having these discussions nationally about reopening schools. And so before we move on to our next topic, I'm just, I want to hear your perspective. Why does student voice matter right now in this context, in this time and place? Why is student voice so urgently needed right now? My goodness, that, that is an ultimatum question. And I think um, to put it quite succinctly is that um, we are facing uh, as a community, as a globe, um, just new and unprecedented issues um, from pandemics to, to climate change, um, to understanding how we're going to, to bring back to education, to understand how we're going to respond to remote learning, um, to an increase in technology, to make sure that um, we're continuing to promote equity within our education systems, despite not being able to be returned physically back into the classroom. And at the front lines of it all, I think that young people truly bring um, a new perspective to these issues. Um, they've lived through these experiences, that they know what works and what doesn't in the education context in their classroom. Um, young people are going to, be, going to be the ones that inherit the globe in a couple of years when it comes to issues of conservation. Um, the policymakers that are elected now are going to put into effect lots of legislation that will impact young people inevitably when they're adults. So more than now, more than ever, but always and continuously, there needs to be um, youth representation and for, for, to understand the future impacts of what we're going to be doing. Um, I think there's a lot of unique perspectives that are brought forward by young people constantly. Like I'm impressed continuously by the work of my peers, by the work that Zoe's doing. Um, I don't think we're hindered by a lack of creativity. And most importantly, what I continue to be most impressed by by young people is just the fervent passion to make the world a, a better place. Yeah, and I'll um, add on that too, just... Um, I think it's, I think we commonly say stuff like, you know, like the youth are going to lead, like the kids are going to lead, there are future leaders, our future presidents. And I think that so much of what we're seeing right now is that we need youth voice more than ever because we can't afford to wait. You know, we can't wait for this generation to graduate from college and then pursue whatever career they want to pursue. Um, a lot of the change that we're seeing right now is being fueled by young people and we can't see that change until we start giving them that agency. So either whether that be moving tables to make it more accessible or creating new tables and spaces where we didn't think we could make them. Um, I don't think you can name a movement in the last couple of centuries that wasn't spearheaded by young people, where young people were standing at the forefront saying we need this change. Um, and so I think we've, we've reached a crossroads where there's so many systematic things, whether that be related to racial justice, the way that we police our education system, like what Sahar was mentioning about conservation and climate change, that we need a fresh new perspective 
And I think that youth are in the perfect place to kind of see what that bright line can be for the rest of us. Absolutely. I think right now, more than ever, student voice is critical. And I hope that uh, we can play some small part of amplifying student voice as we think about these solutions moving forward. And speaking of that, that is something that National Geographic knows a lot about. And you two were recently named National Geographic Young Explorers. And so I want to bring Jamal into the conversation to talk a little bit about what the Young Explorer uh, grant and program is all about uh, and give our listeners a little background information on that. Yeah, happy to, Garris. Uh, just, a, just a quick tidbit. Um, so these Explorers obviously is a program where um, in addition to grant funding that Zoe and Zahara had mentioned that they received, um, they are able to receive kind of skill building, leadership and development training, as well as a lot of network op networking opportunities to connect and collaborate with their peers. Um, so there's a long list of students who have, you know, doing great things, amazing things um, internationally across the, across the world as far as building LED light bulbs that keep lions away from valuable crop in Africa, um, you know, taking waste out the ocean. Um, a lot of these things. So um, again, it's just a great way to, you know, further explore the projects that they're already involved in and amplify them to help them, you know, get to the goals that they're trying to meet. Yeah, I mean, what an awesome program and so great that that's an opportunity available to students. Um, so Zoe and Zahar, what did it mean to you when you found out that you had been selected to be a National Geographic Young Explorer? Yeah, being chosen as a National Geographic Young Explorer uh, meant a lot of different things for me. First, I think it was really inspiring to see um, such an international foundation like this take a leap um, and do so bravely to invest meaningfully and, and deeply in young people. I think it's so easy for a lot of groups and organizations to have a panel of young people or a couple of, of, of young people that they go to consult with when they have a project or, or a product. Um, but to truly invest um, in the way that this organization is doing right now is quite unprecedented. And the level of which they're doing it and supporting young people meaningfully and its co-creation um, is quite inspirational as well. Um, so Vicki Phillips, who's the current um, vice president, um, is truly one of the most inspirational um, characters that you'll ever meet. And it really meant so much not only see that um, they really want to support young people, but they're taking very clear and actionable steps to do so. Um, so I was very much um, honored, um, very much excited about the year I had, and it's unfolded in the most unprecedented ways. Um, um, initially, it was supposed to be uh, of, of traveling across the world and interviewing students and their movements, uh, but with COVID in place, it had to be very flexible. And the amount of support that you get, not only um, in terms of the grant, but also the community that they foster um, with other explorers that you have access to, to talk with, to communicate with, to exchange ideas. It's quite exhilarating. Um, and Zoe, I know you're just getting started on this journey, but there's so much for you to look forward to. Yeah, I'll add on to that, Sahar. And I'll second what, uh, what she said about just that community. Um, we had our first, um, you know, like explorer call where we actually got to meet everybody else there. I mean, there are a few other opportunities where you can just meet people who are on other sides of the globe from you. Um, and it's so incredible to see how people are tackling different issues that, I mean, there are issues that people are solving with their projects that I had never heard of before. And I was like, I didn't even realize that that's an issue in our world. I'm so, you know, just amazed at how you've gone about solving it, how 
incredibly, um, not just smart, but how creative people are, how resilient people are. Um, and just that youthful optimism and energy, I think, is so powerful. And having a collective group of so many people with that energy, I, I can only imagine where these projects are going to go. And I'm super excited to see them. Of course. I feel like I'm learning more from the community than I am from any other type of educational environment that I put myself in before. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, with this program, what kind of work do you two envision yourself doing? Have you started any projects with Nat Geo or are you just kind of in the brainstorming designing process? Where are you right now? Yeah. So um, the brainstorming designing part is um, all, all, all part of the grant application. Um, but my project that I'm working on right now is dubbed Students Under the Surface, which is a research initiative that aims to understand how young people internationally organize, mobilize, and execute solution-oriented impacts in their communities. Um, so the reason that National Geographic sponsored us is because um, we, there's no model that truly looks at and studies meaningfully the way young people all across the world throughout history have you know gone about making change for the good in their communities um, we're seeing organizations um, from March for our lives um, to a lot of conservation efforts across the world there are so many young people that are mobilizing in such meaningful ways um, but there's no clear indication of how they're doing it what structures they have so often we focus on the actual work being done by young people that we never stop to look a little bit more intently at the students behind the surface you know what are are they doing? How are we organizing? And most importantly, in what ways can large organizations and foundations most substantively support these students? Is it a community? Is it a group of mentors? Is it funding? You know, what is it that students really need in order to be best supported by large foundations? And I think that speaks a lot to the character and, and the true support that National Geographic is giving to its young explorers. Um, they, they never assume um, what we think we need. We're very much part of this co-creation process of the grants. Um, and it is quite refreshing to hear from all these students across the world. So, so far throughout my research, we've reached out to over 500 student-led groups and nonprofits all across um, the planet. And we've spoken to about 70 of them one-on-one -on -one for interviews and have created and disseminated our own international survey focused on access to funding, capital, mentorship, community building. Um, hopefully we're going to have all of those findings ready and compiled um, to release in early September, but it's been quite an interesting journey and one of the most inspirational processes that I've ever had the chance um, to lead. So it's quite exciting. That is super exciting and what a powerful display of student voice coming together. I can't wait to see where that leads. Uh, Zoe, same question. Are, do you have a project picked out or what are you working on right now? Yeah, um, so before I get into my own project, um, I've actually never heard um, Sahara's project in full. And I just want to say, wow, that's so awesome. Um, I'm just really excited to see how that goes too. Um, so my project is in accordance with the Get Schooled podcast. And what we're working on is amplifying the voices of students who are least heard in our state. So student journalism, um, primarily through schools, has been under siege for years, if not decades, um, primarily due to an over-censorship of students. So you have a lot of students who want to talk about the issues that are in their school, issues with their education systems, but don't have an outlet to do so. 
And so what I'm working on creating is a fellowship that will, you know, lower the barriers for students to be involved in producing media pieces about education issues in their own areas with a particular target on getting students from uh, marginalized communities, students from rural parts of the state, especially in Appalachia, where you don't hear those student voices nearly as much as you maybe hear students from more urban areas of the state. Um, and just trying to make sure that we can really connect those student voices and their experiences in their schools with their respective education equity issues with the policymakers that are making the decisions about what their education will look like. And we're doing a lot of that through just teaching them about the tenets of journalism. We are working on bringing in people who produce podcasts at NPR. We're working on bringing in other student journalists who have a lot of um, you know, national recognition for that. And so in order to just train them in lifelong skills of how do you tell your story in a way where people will listen and in a way where you are really amplifying um, your own voice and understanding the equity of situations around you. Wow, that is also another incredibly powerful project. And I really liked the part where you were going over the importance of marginalized voices and bringing those out of the fray and in, as the centerfold, especially voices from places like Appalachia and other rural areas, because I talk and write so much about rural education and the importance of rural voices, both teachers and students. And so let me just personally say thank you, because I'm a big believer in that work too. Okay, I feel like our time together has flown by. What an amazing conversation we've had, and I've really enjoyed learning more about your projects. I do want to ask just one more thing. Uh, I know we've got some listeners out there who are parents um, and many who are teachers of students who potentially could be interested in doing similar projects with Nat Geo. What message do you two have for other students who are eager to get involved with Nat Geo, perhaps as young explorers, or more broadly in student voice across the state? Well, that's a great question. Um, one thing that I, um, a lot of my mentors have told me, and I think is quite, um, I've yet to find a piece of advice that tends to guide me more, more consistently is don't pursue a project or a job or a career, but pursue a purpose, you know, find that thing that is, makes you so passionate, that keeps you up at night, that really nags you. Uh, and think about meaningful ways that you can start solving that problem right now in your local community. You know, thinking globally and acting locally has never been more true. Um, and a lot of the times, like I, when I'm talking to kids, like, oh, I want to do something, the next big thing. And I'm like, that's so exciting. But, and break it down into small digestible steps. And then there's nothing that's too small or too big. Um, and as long as you are pursuing a purpose and a goal and a really clear message, then there's always going to be so much opportunity for you to make the world a better place. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll just hit on again what Sahar was saying about, you know, just looking for a purpose and not looking for like that next resume builder, that next job, because, you know, if you, if you're looking for a job, if you're looking for some recognition and you don't get it, then you've failed your goal. But if you're looking for a, your purpose, you know, every, every time that something doesn't go quite your way, you're opening another door. You've succeeded even if, you know, you're not able to get into that meeting, even if that law doesn't pass like you want it to, you've, you know, increased the awareness around that issue. You've, you know, built a base of people who are there to support you. And then, you know, that's only more uh, amplification for the next time that you try, if it's one of those kinds of issues. Um, 
I think in terms of getting involved in student voice, um, you know, I think it's understanding that there is a culture around student voice where people don't want to hear students in some areas. And the goal is you need to find those adult allies who want to hear you. And even more so than that, I think just don't lose hope. Um, you know, I can tell you that the student voice team when we first started, of course, I wasn't there when we first were founded, but, you know, there were issues that we were advocating for that maybe we couldn't get a lot of traction on, but, you know, we've been around for seven, eight years now, and you're seeing that, you know, every time that we, you know, build new connections, we really reach out to people, work on that personal level with other students, that you're building more and more impact, and you're, you know, benefiting more and more people. Um, so, yeah, I couldn't have said it better than Sahar. Um, I mean, you know, you don't have to start that first nonprofit. You don't have to, you know, win that million dollar grant or anything. You, you know, I think the most important thing is doing what you know um, and, you know, bringing people along that, you know, are going to be supportive of that. Absolutely. Powerful words from two incredible young leaders. So again, for our listeners at home, you just heard from Zoe Jenkins, a junior at Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School's Math Science and Technology Center and a member of the Pritchard Committee Student Voice Team. Also, we have Sahar Mohammed Zeta, who's a student at Harvard College, and Jamal Strong on behalf of National Geographic. Thank you all so much for joining us today. We can't wait to see where your awesome leadership and research takes you here in the coming years. Yes, and thank you so much for having us on, too, to talk oh, about it's it. it's such a pleasure. Thank you so, so much for hosting. It's been a lovely conversation. We appreciate you, Gears. Thanks so much. The pleasure has been all mine. And we'll be right back after this break here on the Kentucky School Talk podcast. Did you know that as children are being forced to learn from home due to school closures, as many as 12 million do not have access to the Internet? Internet providers have signed the FCC's Keep Americans Connected pledge to provide Internet to families in need. However, millions of families across the country who are facing the most economic hardship are being rejected from these free Internet offers. That's why we need you to sign the petition today asking the FCC to urge all wireless companies to provide free access to all low-income families during COVID-19, even if they have prior debts or have applied for service previously. We all need to come together to bridge the digital divide. So check out the link to the petition in the show description and add your name today. And that's our show. Thanks so much for joining. We always appreciate our listeners, and we're glad you were able to listen in. As Zoe and Sahar told us more about their amazing experiences with the Nat Geo Explorers program. If you're interested in learning more about that program, you can go to nationalgeographic.org slash explorers to learn about all kinds of cool resources. And maybe if you're a future explorer, you can learn more about how to sign up there for an incoming cohort. And also, if you're a teacher interested in any National Geographic education resources, professional development, and even funding opportunities, you can go to nationalgeographic.org education to learn more about those things. Both of those links are in the description. And that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much again for listening to the Kentucky School Talk podcast, and we'll see you again next time.